Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to this radio show. This is Heart Health Radio with Dr. Franklin Weefald of Millennia Cardiovascular. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Who would have thought when we started this business about COVID in 2020 that we'd still be talking about it in 2022? Yeah, but we started in 2019. Yeah. Well, remember also uh, when we had the first lockdown, or actually in the United States, only one major lockdown. Yeah. Six weeks and the virus will be gone. Yeah, I, I was, was wrong. Yeah, yeah, I was promised. I two was weeks. totally wrong, and I thought ten thousand cases. You know, we get control over that. Wrong. Yeah. And so, what does this tell you? It tells you that sometimes we don't know enough to make any pronouncements. Right. We we have a story in this actually an editorial with the title. Sometimes science is bad. Yeah. And that just means sometimes. The science is either wrong or incomplete or whatever. Absolutely. We're going to talk about a weight loss miracle drug being delayed. Hydroxychloroquine. Hey, remember that? Hydroxychloroquine linked to lower heart attacks in patients with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. And it may have, in some cases, been helpful to some folks in the COVID situation yeah fella dies waiting for a hospital bed you may have heard this the family is arguing that it's because of people who have been hospitalized with covid and without the vaccine in other words you 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 people clogged up the hospitals uh with your with your people well and and, you know the thing that bothers me yeah is the number of hospital executives who are saying, oh, we can't stand this. We're so frustrated yeah. with the people who are not vaccinated. What happened to compassion? What happened to understanding? Yeah. What happened to the concept that we are here to treat anyone? Right. Despite their medical condition, their political um uh, proclivities, yeah. uh, race, sex, national origin, and that should include the personal decision to get vaccinated or not vaccinated. I mean, there was someone I know, and she's been on the news, Ruth Marler, who is uh, the COO of Johnston, UNC Johnston Health, yeah. who is, you know, bloviating about how the whole staff is just outraged because we have these unvaccinated people. Well, where's your compassion? Where's your desire to heal and help the sick, no matter what situation? Could you imagine if she said, we're sick and tired of taking care of accident victims who didn't wear their seatbelt? Yeah. I mean, think about this, it's the same thing. And it, it basically makes me very angry. I have patients who are unvaccinated, a ton of them. I'm in Johnston County where people 
um, have uh, in large part certain political persuasions which have convinced them not to get the vaccine. And they're wonderful people. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah. chose Johnston County over Cary to mm-hmm. practice medicine. Now, don't, if you're from Cary, I love you. But I chose Johnson County because I knew they had the highest incidence of heart disease in this area. There are many factors. You want to blame them uh, or or people who I disagree with blame them for their high risk of heart disease because of their smoking, because they eat a lot of fried foods. And (laughs) hey, you know. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> I don't. I don't mind telling you, it's almost more delicious in Johnston County. Well, but let me tell you food. something. It's not true. Oh, it's because of their genetic predisposition. Okay. And you know, I got in trouble once. Some guy called up because I used the accent. They have a different way of speaking. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful way of speaking, but it's a different place. You go to Wegmans. Yeah, and it's New Yorkers. You go to Carly C's IGA and Benson, <laughs> it's Johnston, you know, yeah. natives. Yeah. So let's stop this nonsense of blaming COVID on the unvaccinated. Let's show compassion and care for them. Yeah. And let's maybe try the carrot, not the stick. And let's see if we can convince people that it's safe and good to be vaccinated and not treat them like second-class citizens. I think that's totally wrong. And here is Phil in Raleigh. Hey, Phil. Hi, Happy New Year, and thanks for taking my call. You're uh, welcome. Every, every day we take your call. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, my doctor told me a couple years ago, and you mentioned it on the show a few weeks ago, that he no longer does the prostate exam. And uh, this concerned me a little bit because I have a family history of prostate cancer, um, oh, wait a minute. Hang yeah, on, prostate Phil. scanning. Is that what you said? No. Screening? He, yeah, he, he didn't do the, the, you know, the PSA. Yeah, that's that's the new no, thing now, okay? It's yeah. it's also like never giving an antibiotic when someone needs one. It's the new thing. Don't do a PSA. And it it's it's interesting. I think there there are people who don't need a PSA, 96-year-old men who are healthy. Because prostate cancer in them is probably <laughs> not going to kill them. Yeah. And the age group at which you stop screening for PSA, I think, is very controversial. Now, I will tell you this. I screen for PSA every day. Oh, I'm sorry. I do get screened for PSA, but it doesn't do the rectal exam. Oh. Uh, okay. The last time I did a rectal exam was about 26 years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and let me tell you, I think they're useful. Um, I really do. Yeah. Um, and the reason is, most of the cancers in our colon are reachable, reachable by a finger. Right. And even if even if you've got Dave's stubby fingers uh, yeah, okay. versus my really long and slender <laughs> fingers, I mean my fingers are perfect for rectal exam. <laughs> but anyway. Um, we've just gotten out of it. And why have we gotten out of it? It's called the colonoscopy. So why do this really um, uncomfortable for both? I think it's uncomfortable both for the physician and the patient. Yeah. Okay. And so the, the thought was, why do this uncomfortable thing um, when you can just refer them to a gastroenterologist for a colonoscopy? I think that I should be doing them. Okay. 
And I think it's wrong to have gotten away from that. But of course, you know, I'm one of these, you know, codgers. Now, I'm a codger. Did you know that officially? Yeah. I'm a codger. I hit 60 and, you know, I'm an old codger. But I think that it, it there's no study that's proven, at least as far as I know, that it reduces death. But I think that you can feel a hemorrhoid. Okay, suppose if they have rectal, they have, you know, bright red blood per rectum and you put your finger up there and you can tell there's a hemorrhoid in there. Now, that doesn't mean there's also not a cancer, but you can treat the hemorrhoid first and see if it works. The other thing is the prostate. And we were taught with these models how to feel prostate through the rectum. And you could, you know, they had these models you put your finger in and, and the guy would stand up in front of you, the 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 urologist and say, okay, where's that nodule? Okay. And if you got it wrong, it's in the right upper quadrant. He hit you over the head with a ruler and say, do it again. I'm kidding. But it was, it was good training. And I know for a fact that there is a um, urologist in Johnson County who does routine rectal exams. And I think that's a good thing. So it's, it's good for two things. You can feel the, a large rectal cancer, You can feel a hemorrhoid. Uh, And I think the prostate is ripe for the picking. And I guess that sounds terrible. Yeah, it does. But you can feel it and you can tell. And they don't teach this anymore in med school. You know what they teach in med school? Is Botox and uh, the Mohs procedure. And if you're number one in your class, you can win the prize of being a a dermatologist and have a nine-to-four job and never show up in the hospital. But your point is that... What is my point? I've forgotten already. It's all right. I'm going to try to refocus. (laughs) Is that there is a more advanced solution to, hey, does he have a problem here? Yeah. No, I don't think it's more advanced. I think it's uh, part of its laziness. Yeah. Part of it is the discomfort that patients have expressed wanting to avoid. And I think it's the physicians being, you know, I mean, okay, let me tell you what a prostate exam entails, a rectal prostate exam. You put on this this big glove, and yeah. it better be thick. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Then you have to turn the patient over. Most of the time, they would lean on their stomachs yeah. Uh, yeah. with standing up, and then you have to spread the cheeks and put the KY jelly on Yes. and insert it. Now, Wait a minute. My doctor always brags about the fact that he pre-warmed the jelly. He thinks that's the most amazing thing in the oh, world. Oh, I never he pre-warmed so, the jelly. Yeah, I, I'm going to warm up. I got this warmed up jelly for you. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm all right. sorry. Well, What's you know, the rest of it? But um, and then, you know, there's a pucker factor, okay? In fact, we used to call it the huh. anal wink, huh. and we were supposed to test the anal wink. Now, what is that? That's when you sort of uh, scratch the yeah. uh, anus, and it would... Yeah. Shut yeah. down. Yeah. Like, but it's not really winking, but I, maybe it is. Um, and then you have to slowly insert your finger so you don't hurt somebody by overstretching yeah. the anus when yeah. it is contracted. And then you have to be able to insert it far enough up in there and wiggle it around. Yeah. And then you press on the prostate. Now, here's the problem. If you've got a prostate infection, that's really painful. So there are all sorts of factors involved in getting away with this, away from this. And then I I thought you were talking about the PSA screen earlier. That's my hearing problem. No, that's my hearing problem. And 
people rely on the PSA now. They've stopped doing it at a certain age group. Some doctors don't do it at all, and I think that's a mistake. So I really think that we should get back to the rectal exam. Uh, we should just, you know, put the um, uh, clip on our nose, you know, the, the what's that called? Gosh, the laundry clip on our nose, yeah, and just, just do them. Um, we used to have to do them on females, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I the, did that. The, if I can, the reason I was concerned is I only have a colonoscopy every 10 years because I don't have any problems. And my brother, when he turned 70, I'm 70 now, he, his PSA went from 2.1 to about 4.7 in one year. Uh-huh. And my PSA is sitting at 2.1 right now. Yeah. And that's where the PSA is helpful. You know, the PSA can be high in a prostate infection, um, but it's really helpful over time. So if I have somebody with a PSA of one, the next year it's two, I'll yeah. probably in six months get another one instead of waiting a year and oh. see how it is. I had a guy who went from one to 15 in yeah. six months, and um, he had prostate cancer. And the interesting thing now, and if you get prostate cancer, call me, because there is a technique now called cryoablation, Mm-hmm. where they find out where the prostate cancer is localized and they freeze it to death and yeah. then they monitor it and and find out how you're going uh, how you're doing and so i get my psa every 6 months uh and it's mine's 4 and sometimes 5 but i when it's 4 it goes to 5 i recheck it and it's back down to 4 so if my 4 represented early prostate cancer that's fine yeah because something else is going to kill me. But if it jumps from 4 to 11 in six months, I'm heading for the Flying Fickle Finger of Fate Award, yes. which is a rectal exam. You don't Phil, know what that's from, do you? Yes, I do. That's from? Uh, uh, laughing. Yeah. Yes. Rowan and Martin's laughing. All right. <laughs> Phil, ordinarily at this point in a phone call, I tell someone that I'm really glad they called. But I'm not going to do that now with you. I'm just going to say I'm glad we had this talk. Well, okay, we're going to have a break pretty soon. Yeah. And when we come back on the air, Dave's going to have a, a, a soprano voice because he wanted me to demonstrate <laughs> no, while don't. we're here no. the rectal exam. All right. Phil, thank you. Thank you. All right, have a great day. All right. I have ordered uh, – while that phone call was going on, I had a lot of time <laughs> – I ordered that you was a, a great, you know, that was a great phone call. Perfect. That is a radio call-in doctor yes. show. Yeah, great question I, and good discussion. I ordered you a T-shirt, a uh, specifically for you. Um, it says, "I have perfect fingers for rectal exams." <laughs> <laughs> it's going to arrive in four to six and, weeks, and it's going to be my index finger in a glove, dripping That's with KY jelly. Great idea. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. News. Talk. Traffic. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTI. Scott Brigham in for the maids. Once again, we have another happy, satisfied customer. Here's Kat. 
I would say that the maids are a necessity in my life now. I didn't know what I didn't know until I had the maids. I get excited when I realize the maids have come for the day because I know I'm coming home to a spotless house. And when I tell you spotless, there is no piece of dust left in my house after they come and it smells amazing. I am definitely detail oriented, but I can truly say that the maids do do a great job. They vacuum every corner of my home and the countertops are actually cleaner than I can get. They're beautiful when I walk in and I can see the reflections off the countertops. They just sparkle. Cat's enthusiasm for the maids, locally owned by the Dunn family, should tell you all you need to know about how professional, experienced, and caring they are. Call the maids today to have your home or business sparkle like Cat's in Fuquay Arena. It's simple. Go to themaidsofthetriangle.com to set up your first cleaning. That's themaidsofthetriangle.com. You'll be glad you did. Tell them Scott sent you. Hey, do you really want to go through another year with that awful joint pain? Don't do it. Resolve right now to get yourself moving again for 2022. Hey, it's Mike Wheelis. It's time to call QC Kinetics, non-surgical regenerative treatments for joint pain. We're talking lasting results using natural biologics. No surgery, no pain meds, no steroids, and no downtime. Regenerative restorative treatments that actually encourage your body to heal itself using highly concentrated natural biologics. For hip pain relief, knee pain relief, shoulder and back pain relief. Don't let them keep giving you steroids. And don't let them tell you surgery is the only option. Get a free second opinion at QC Kinetics. Do it now. And imagine life in 2022 without pain. Call the local medical professionals at QC Kinetics now. 919-400-5473. 919-400-5473. That's 919-400-5473. You can listen to Heart Health on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. And we're going to go with Wallace in Cary. Wallace, welcome, and thank you for waiting. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to both of you. Thank you. You too. I have a quick question, Dr. Weefall. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a coronary calcium score test done, and that turned out pretty good. It was a 1.6. Uh, I'm 53 years old, um, overweight, about 280 pounds, so I was happy to hear that news, that the coronary calcium score was good, but um, I noticed on the report that they sent me that I had a um, mild aneurysmal ascending aorta measuring at 4.1, and the chart said that abnormal was just over 4.0. Wallace, so can you want- can you read that? Yeah, read that story. Read the numbers on the aorta. Okay, on the aorta, it says mid-ascending 4.1 centimeters, abnormal greater than 4.0, and the mid-descending 2.5 centimeters, abnormal greater than 3.5. Yeah, okay, so let's tell the listeners what does this mean. When we get uh, cholesterol buildup in the arteries of the heart, the body immune system, the monocytes, get in there and try to make it go away. I mean, that's one of the things that they're working on now to try to make it go away. When when immune cells work, they produce inflammation, and that's our you know if there's one 
uh, word that is used on this program. It's inflammation more than any other. But when you get inflammation, you can get calcium deposition. Okay, mm-hmm. So one of the ways is an indirect way to find out how much cholesterol buildup you have is to look at the calcium score. And there's a guy named A. Gaston who developed this score. And we use it. You have very, very, a very good low coronary calcium score. Now, there is a age adjustment. Okay, So if yeah. you're younger... And if your score is low, you could still have a lot of cholesterol buildup because that could mean you have what we call soft plaque. That is plaque that has not been attacked as much by the monocytes and has not developed inflammation and has not um, developed calcium. Now, the aorta is that big tube that comes out of the heart, the left ventricle, which is the powerful ventricle. It pumps into the body, pumps it through the aortic valve into the aorta. So you can get calcium in the aorta for a couple of reasons. Number one, people don't realize you can get atherosclerosis or cholesterol buildup in the aorta as well. But number two, the aorta has to contract and expand as it receives this jet of blood out of the left ventricle. So this blood gets flown, I mean, gets uh, uh, directed to the carotid arteries and to the um, descending aorta where it goes to the legs and the gut and the arms, et cetera. So that's not bad um, for you. Um, But the thing that you can do to help this is to lose weight, get your cholesterol under control, and uh, to get your sugar uh, where it needs to be. Now, why is all this? That will reduce the amount of inflammation. Um, and I made sure I said blood pressure there, too. The blood pressure will reduce the strain on the aorta. If you get your mm-hmm. cholesterol and diabetes under control, not only will it reduce the amount of cholesterol, and believe me, you can reverse cholesterol buildup by controlling diabetes and controlling mm-hmm. cholesterol. And it also reduces the amount of inflammation because the calcium also reprimands represents the inflammation that is induced by the stretching and cholesterol buildup inside the aorta. So I think you you, you did pretty well on that test, including your aortic calcification. Um, but I would still say um, don't uh, let your weight go up, bring it down, uh, get your blood pressure under control, get your sugar to where it's almost normal. And then the other thing is walk. 40 minutes, five times a week at a brisk pace. And I think that, you know, you will be better off. Uh, You're already better off than most people in your demographic group. Um, I've got people who are 50 years old with calcium scores of 1,000. And Uh some of them are not obese and most of them are. So I think the lesson for you with the test, and again, I can't diagnose you over the phone, but the lesson right. for you is, yeah, it's a pretty good test, but keep going. So because you think that the 4.1 um, ascending, yeah. ascending is, is not something to be concerned about where? No, I don't think you should be concerned about it now, but you should be concerned that it's going to grow. And get right. worse. And when there's a lot of calcium in the aorta, it makes it a little more brittle. I don't want to worry you. Um, I think that you right. got a good test. But what this test will help you with is seeing how your interventions in five years have worked. Mm-hmm. Because the calcium will go away. Let me let me tell you about this coronary calcium score. I had a big lump in my arm. They thought it was cancer. So I got a CT scan. Well, I had a calcium score of 200. 
in my Widowmaker, which for my age group was moderate risk. I passed a stress test. Now, my LDL was 178. My sugar was fine, despite the fact that I drink four Cokes a day. My sugar was fine. So I went on medicine. I believe in chemicals. When it comes to atherosclerosis, I dropped my LDL with Crestor at maximum doses just to 130. And people would say the target's 70. So I started Repatha, which is the newer medication that helps. It's a shot. I got it down to 11. Hmm. And not only did it start to go away, in two years, I dropped my calcium score to 20, which reduces my risk of a heart attack tremendously. So the, the good news is you did well. And the good news is that you can repeat this scan when, when your doctor thinks it's a good idea after you've lost weight, after you've got right. your cholesterol down, after your diabetes and high blood pressure controlled, and see how good you did because it can go away or yeah. it won't get much worse. Wallace, thank you very much for calling. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by continuing to listen to this show. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Yep, Rose Hoban coming up next. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. You always call between noon and 2 on a Saturday to be on the show. No matter when your, your radio station airs the program, noon to 2 on a Saturday. Phil in Raleigh is the exact same Phil in Raleigh who we talked to just a little while ago. Hi, Phil. Well, it's been a couple or three weeks ago, and... Phil, uh, enjoy the show. Thank you. You uh, just called. You just called a couple of minutes ago, right? Well, I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. You, oh, hey, no. listen, everybody out there, call early, call often. It's not a problem, Phil. I just we want to make it. the point for other yeah. people listening. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I discussed my upcoming hernia surgery. Yes. Yeah. With the doctor yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. And you all asked me to report back on how that went. How'd it go? Well, it was worse than the surgeon thought. Okay. When he got in there, I had both a hydrocele and a hernia. That's right. And he had to basically open me up about, I'd say, five inches, four or five inches. Hmm. And he successfully fixed it is my understanding but and that was december 16th okay honestly the recovery has been much more slow and painful than i had right so he the incision is along the crease of the groin right he had to cut you there that is correct yeah so that is what we used to do um, all the time. And the hernia surgery is one of the most common ones. When I was in medical school, I actually got to do a hernia surgery. Oh, good for you. And there is a very tight band um, of tissue there. And you have to sew that up exactly right. There was a very famous guy called Halstead from Johns Hopkins where I went to school and did my residency. And it was modified a little bit over time. But that's still the way you actually do it. Um, but like I said, you, you have to put these very tight sutures uh, to sew it all up, or the hernia is going to pop right back out mm. again. 
the way that I was hoping that you could have it done, and this was probably complicated by the hydroseal, that is the fluid collection from the uh, spermatic area that comes through the groin as well. We, uh, I got mine fixed. I had two of them in the groin by the belly button surgery. They went in with a scope, pulled back the intestine, which is uh, poking through the, the groin area, and put a patch on it from the inside. And that, I got back to work in two days. And that's the beauty of that. But he had to do yours for technical reasons. He had to fix the hydrocele. I mean, I wasn't there, but I'm imagining why. And it's tough to recover from that because every time you cough, it hurts. And I can remember if you one of the risk factors for having complications from this Halstead-type repair was if you had asthma or if you had a chronic cough and COPD. Because when you cough, you increase the, the pressure inside your gut and inside your lungs, yeah. and it can push that stuff out. So what did they give you for pain? Anything? They gave me some heavy-duty pain meds, but I, I'm, I took them briefly, but uh, you, know the, you know the side effects of those. Did you get constipated? Yeah, right. Yeah, see, so this is the, this is the double-edged sword, right? You get pain relief, and then you get constipated, and you push to Uh. get the poop out. And what happens? The pressure rises inside the abdomen, and it pops open that surgical intervention. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, so it's a two-edged sword. Well, I'm thankful for the for the skill set of the surgeon. And uh, who was your surgeon? Uh, Dr. Waters. Yeah, that's the guy we sent you to. He did my surgery. And let me tell you, if this guy couldn't do it the belly button way, I don't think anybody could have done it, mm-hmm. you know, laparoscopically. Uh, shout out to him. He is an excellent, a great surgeon. He was uh, one of the big surgeons at Duke. And like me, you know, pulled the ripcord and parachuted into private practice. Yeah. And anybody listening, uh, I know there are tons of excellent surgeons around, but if you go to Dr. Waters, you can't go wrong. He's fantastic. Well, I, I can't lift 10 pounds for a period of time, and 10 pounds is nothing. So basically, yeah, <laughs> I'm very restricted. But again, that's my situation. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to have it done and over with, but... Uh, I'm a little surprised at the slow recovery and the, and the Well, Actually, you know, that's not bad. We used to tell patients who had this type of surgical repair, it was going to be six weeks before they felt better. And that's the case. I mean, it's, it's when you have to cut into this, you know, deep tissue and you have to open it up and then you have to repair it, that's the skill set. And that's the reason why it hurts so much. Phil, I'm the non-medical uh, part of the team. And let me just tell you something. I've had surgery this year. Uh, my wife's had surgery. Your mother-in-law's been in the hospital. Here's the deal. You are a couple of weeks out from major surgery. And this is major surgery. And Hernia it, repairs, are uh, the way you had it done, is major. And, Phil, your attitude is, I wish I was better more quickly. You know something? That's the attitude that's going to carry you through. Yeah, and and that's the whole point. And but the other thing is, be positive about it. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing better in two weeks, um, I I had patients come back to the surgical clinic who were still in severe pain at two weeks. Yeah. So, um, hats off to you. Happy New Year. 
happy new year to you all and and thank you i'm I'm glad you didn't go to oktoberfest or you know one of these clubs for new year's because now you get a beer yeah and it weighs eight pounds okay an eight pound (laughs) beer you know a flagon they call it a flagon of beer take care phil this is heart health radio on the heart health radio network here's the deal Seems to be some some differing. There's been an uh, an announcement, sort of, and from Washington D.C., the attitude toward COVID is a little bit different. Uh, a whole lot different. Okay. A whole, whole, whole lot different. We're gonna take you back to October twenty second, twenty twenty, the last presidential debate, and this is the wrap up with candidate Joe Biden. We just wore these masks president's own advisors have told him we could save 100,000 lives. And we're in a circumstance where the president thus far and still has no plan, no comprehensive plan. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe and give them the wherewithal, the financial resources to be able to do that. We're in a situation now where the New England Medical Journal, one of the serious, most serious journals in the, in the whole world, said for the first time ever that this, the way this president has responded to this crisis has been absolutely tragic. And so, folks, I will take care of this. I will end this. I will make sure we have a plan. Okay. So there are a lot of things to that. And, of course, some might be accurate, might not be accurate, well, but, the, but for the, the time. Yeah, the lesson is is that as the head of the federal government, yeah. he was going to use the full force and power of the federal government to, to save this, save us all. Mm-hmm. Now, more people have died under Joe Biden than yeah. under Donald Trump. And one of the things we don't have is where Biden said Trump was responsible for every single death, every single one. I, Oddly and, enough, and so was, as president, wouldn't Biden be responsible for every single death that occurred under his administration? If I, we let that quote go, not in that quote, if I had make it a longer yeah. quote, he said that no man who under his presidency had these numbers of people dying. We're talking 200,000. Yeah. At that point, he doesn't deserve to be president of the United States. Rightio. Right. So, it was hanging the deaths around the president and may not be that the federal accurate. government will solve this. Okay. This week, President Joe Biden. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level, and it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. In other words, it's not my fault. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not my responsibility. Not my responsibility. So I mean, this is where it enrages me about the politicalization of this COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. I don't think any one person is responsible for what happened, except perhaps the person in the Wuhan Institute who was lazy or sloppy and caused this to spread. Right. You know, that's my opinion based on a lot of scientific evidence. 
Uh, it's not proven, but I think so. You want to blame it on somebody, blame it on that person, more than likely um, not. But it, it's, it's tragic. Does this guy, Biden, think that we're not going to remember what he said? Mm. Now, the other thing, did you not notice the difference in his voice and his ability to enunciate and and speak uh, in a forceful manner yeah. between just last year and now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not making a diagnosis over the radio just by hearing his voice, but I think we should take note of that and perhaps suggest that a diagnosis be pursued. And I don't know if his if there is some deterioration in medical and in, in mental faculties is leading to him saying, "Hey, I can't do this anymore." Now I don't know, and no. I'm not making a diagnosis. He just, I don't know. He just sailed through yeah. his annual physical. Yeah, but okay. What I want to know is if they do an MRI of his brain. No, 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 no. Did they do a mental? Evaluation. We have something called. Apparently not. We do a. Yeah, they even said they didn't. Right. A a mini mental exam. Uh, And if you worry about your memory and you're going to the doctor, ask him or her to do a mini mental. It's actually pretty cool. I mean, it involves remembering numbers. You know, it involves uh, interpreting proverbs. You know, you say, What does a rolling stone gather no moss mean? That's actually important. And then it asks you to draw pictures, you know, a, a triangle intersecting with a rectangle. Yeah. And you get a score, and it's up to, you know, a certain number. And then you get a score X number you got and the number we would expect. And it really helps. So does has Biden had a mini mental exam? I would recommend that if people are concerned and want to make a diagnosis of his current uh, faculties. But let's get back to COVID. Um, yeah. There's another thing that's happened, and that's Fauci has changed his tune. Okay, and yeah, yeah. Let's let's hear what he says we're, now. We're gonna get this um, PPG three eight one. All right, I three. jumped the gun three, here eight, as one, usual. Three. I jumped the gun as usual. We got it. Let's go with it. Is that if you look at the children who are hospitalized, many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And what we mean by that, if a child goes in the hospital, they automatically get tested for COVID and they get counted as a COVID hospitalized individual. When in fact, they may go in for a broken leg or appendicitis or something like that. So it's overcounting the number of children who are quote hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. That's this past week. Yeah, and, you know, last year he didn't say this. You know, last year they specifically asked, uh, and it's not a year ago, but even earlier in 2021, they specifically asked him, and he said, oh, we can't make that conclusion. It's still a dangerous situation. Now, I welcome this change of tune because we got to ramp down this hysteria yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at the New York Times and CNN and other left-wing journals, um, they've said record hospitalizations for children. And, and that seems to imply that we're losing this war and that we got to go back to lockdowns. And, you know, the teachers unions are screaming for lockdowns again and not mm. and remote education. 
Omicron is going to go away quickly. That is the opinion of many, many respected scientists who know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You look at South Africa. I mean, the number of cases are plummeting, and that's a good word to use. If you look at the, the graphs, it went up to the highest number of infections they ever had and plummeted. If you look at the graphs for deaths, they inched up a little and then plummeted back down again. And that's what we're seeing in this country. Children are not getting sick from this. Mm -hmm. The reason why the uh, Times and CNN are screaming about this data is because they want everybody vaccinated. The only way to prevent this is to get five-year-olds vaccinated. Yeah. There are many scientists who say that that's not worth it based on the risk-benefit ratio, uh, the risk of giving a vaccine versus not. Now, that's in five-year-olds. It clearly is beneficial if you get a vaccine when you're an adult and you get your um, uh, booster shot when you're an adult. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you right now, it's clearly beneficial and the risks are infinitesimally small. You hear about the person who had a reaction to the vaccine, that is a true story. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a true story. And it's it's very bad for that individual. But it's less than 0.005% that you're going to have a significant reaction to the vaccine. That is less than winning the lottery, a chance of winning the lottery. That yeah. is far less of a chance than being killed by a lightning strike. And the risk that you're going to die from COVID is markedly reduced. Now, here's the great thing about the Omicron. It is a fairly gentle, in comparison, uh, COVID variant. Um, you get sick. Uh, you have a cough and a fever. Uh, maybe, you know, some sniffles and stuff. If you've been vaccinated and if you've had the booster, you could be like me. What? Where I was asymptomatic. Somebody else had exposed me. I tested weekly positive. Two days later, I tested negative. And that's the beauty of the vaccine and the booster. Now, do I think people who refuse to get the vaccine are bad people? No. I mean, listen, you you hear all this stuff on the Internet. You hear what Uncle Bobby says, you know, and and you refuse to get it and you don't want to get it. And I understand um, and I'm going to still work with you, and I'm going to still be there for you if, and that's a big if, yeah. you get COVID. And I'm not going to blame you, and I'm not going to say you're a bad person, because we live in an era of misinformation. And this information seems uh, to be uh, authoritative, and it's not. And so, you know, what I try to do is educate but also understand. And I've had people who are absolutely going to refuse to get the vaccine. Yeah. On the second or third visit, you mm. know, they have said, you know, what you said, Dr. Weef, I'll change my mind. So that's how you do it. Good. You don't beat them over the head. You, you, under, you be an understanding and compassionate person and an com- understanding and compassionate doctor. Very good. We've got a bunch of things we promised at the outset, we'll try to squeeze him in the next couple of minutes. Science is sometimes bad. A weight loss drug, it's a miracle drug, but you're not going to see it early in 2022. We'll tell you why. And hydroxychloroquine, the thing that the president touted, President Trump touted. We may, get, we may get in trouble even for talking about it. Hydroxychloroquine linked to lower heart attack in some 
patience. That's coming up next on Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network, where you get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. And, of course, we're on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. All right, science is sometimes bad. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to say this. I, I got angry when Fauci said, if you criticize me, you are criticizing science. Yeah. I've come around to <laughs> believe that that's actually a good statement. Really? Because science is not this monolithic, logical, um, marching toward the truth or, you know, we are the truth. No. Yeah. Yeah. Science is political. Science is ego-driven. Science is often wrong <laughs> and often catastrophically wrong. Wow. And the difference between a good scientist and a bad scientist is that when a scientist is wrong and he's used the scientific method, and what is the scientific method? Very simply, you make a hypothesis. I think the sun will come up tomorrow. Yeah. How do you test that hypothesis? You get up in the middle, you know, at five in the morning and watch the sun come up. Yeah. Therefore, I've tested my hypothesis and it's true. Yeah. And then you build on that. Okay. That's what the scientific method is. Unfortunately, the people who go into science are human. Mm. And a lot of the people go into science not because they want to discover things. Mm. It's because they want to be recognized as brilliant people. Mm. That's the ego involved. They want to keep slugging away at a problem because what's hanging in front of them is the Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah. And so not, I would say very few scientists are ego-driven to that extent, but it's true. Politics, I mean, I was going to be a scientist. I was a molecular biologist. I published in all these fancy, pantsy journals, and I got uh, you know, drug over the stones. What's that called? So what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, put through the mill yeah. um, because I made a statement that another scientist at Duke took as an insult. Mm. And I was railroaded out. Uh, I had a job at uh, Texas Southwestern Medical School. And then, you know, my um, uh, uh, mentor, when he said, look, you know, you, you piss this woman off, oh, you boy. cannot come with me because I got to deal with her. I got a job at University of Arizona and then I just pulled the ripcord and said, I'll deal with the politics uh, of medicine more than I'll deal with the politics of science. So, you know, let me, do I have time to give you a prime example? You do. Okay. So those of us who were alive in 1969, remember that the, the number one environmental science um, shibboleth or, you know, this is the truth is that we're all going to die from overpopulation and starvation. Yeah. So the population was expanding, and all these scientists would bloviate and say, you know, if you criticize me, you're criticizing science. We're all going to starve. We can't have any more children. Um, China instituted a one-child policy on this basis. Yeah. And so 10 million girls, because boys are favored in China. I can't, don't have time to explain why. And... You know, this was a rational, scientific-based um, political decision. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened? Iowa, 140 bushels, acres, uh, bushels of corn per acre in 1969. Yeah. Technological advancements pushed that up to almost double, 245 bushels per acre. 
We have food now. The problem with starving people is that we are wrong and have not been good enough to distribute food in a fair way. Mm. But there's more food that we can deal with. And just go to um, a Harris Teeter. You know, they have a really nice cafeteria thing. Yes, they do. Yes. You know what happens to all that food at 7 o'clock? I don't know. It's thrown away. And that's terrible. I mean, I'm sorry. That should yeah. go to the homeless. Yeah. That should go to people who really need the food. But, but, the, but starving the bottom people... line is, now what chi- what's China doing? They have realized with yeah. their aging population, they cannot sustain their economy anymore. So now they're paying people in China to have not one, not two, but three children. Okay? Yeah. And so... That's an example of science being catastrophically wrong. What did Elon Musk say? Elon Musk said the biggest population problem the United States is going to face is not enough children. We are at the lowest reproductive rate in the history of the United States. Hmm. We have jobs. We have 9 million jobs that can't be filled in this country. And we need more kids. And, you know, I talk to my own kids. And you know what they say? We're having two because it's too expensive yeah. and too much, you know, um, of a hassle. I Now, Peggy, I'm sorry. You never said hassle. But it's too expensive to have children. Well, I'll and t- they're good parents. Okay. And, and we've got to run. But let me just tell you, there is also another reason why n- young people are not having so many kids. Well, they turn out like you? No, they can't fit any more children in the car. It's called <laughs> car seat uh, co- contraception. Anyway, that's coming up. Well, We're I never gonna, thought of that. We'll talk more about that on Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Before turning the radio station, always mm-hmm. consult with your doctor. In fact, don't turn your radio station. Forget, forget I mentioned it. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I try to do is give uh, someone, our listeners, um, some information. Yeah. That you know, load them up with information that they can go and ask appropriate questions good. to their local physician, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, we don't diagnose on the phone. We say, "Hey, this is what you might ask your doctor." I diagnose on the phone, but not during the radio show. Oh, right. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get on the line with somebody and say, "I don't know. I think what you got is." Uh, monoclonal edema uh, hematoma. All right, so hydroxychloroquine that I had a hard time well, pronouncing. You know, even if you utter hydroxychloroquine uh, at the <laughs> yeah. grocery store, people look at you and start throwing uh, <laughs> Twinkies at you. How dare you mention that word? We all know from science right. that that's a horrible drug, will cause side effects and kill you. Remember, what was it? Chris Cuomo said... You know, that um, Trump was killing himself by taking hydroxychloroquine. He's going to have a heart attack. And all this bloviation from fake science. Am I right? That's a medicine that millions of people had taken. For? For for what? Malaria. Malaria. Okay, It so- saved 
millions of lives. It was a malarial drug. And then what happened? It got repurposed for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. They discovered that people who had taken hydroxychloroquine and went to Africa or another place where where, uh, malaria was endemic, you take this to prevent it. Where did hydroxychloroquine come from? Quinine. Okay? Okay. Quinine water. What was that? At Schweppervescence. Okay? And that's got quinine in it. Okay. And you take it, and it makes you less likely to get sick from malaria. You can still get malaria, but you're less sick, like like the vaccines for COVID. Right. Anyway, these people who had lupus and rheumatoid arthritis who took hydroxychloroquine to go to Africa, for example, they mm-hmm. came back, mm-hmm. and their rheumatoid arthritis was better, and their lupus was better. That led to multiple studies, which then repurposed a malaria drug into an anti-lupus drug. Now, why did they even test it for um, COVID? Because it reduces inflammation. The key thing about the COVID or a lot of other coronavirus um, uh, viruses is that they don't destroy you by destroying your tissue. They induce your own immune system to destroy yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what lupus is. It's an autoimmune disease. Now, the way that COVID gets you is not by inducing an autoimmune disease. It induces too much of the inflammatory signals, the interleukins, the other um, chemicals and proteins that recruit other uh, immune cells from where the initial infection is. That just rips you apart and fills your lungs with fluid yeah. and kills you. So. They said, let's test hydroxychloroquine. Well, they tested it in every phase of the illness, from the people at the end stage on ventilators who were going to die to the people in the beginning who had the sniffles, uh, tested positive for COVID-19, and they used this medication in them also. Well, now they've gone back and done the studies um, to look at Let's tease out the different groups of people, people in the early phase of COVID, people in the mid phase when they're about to be intubated, and the people at the end phase. It didn't work in the last two phases. Um, And that's where I think the studies were wrong. Science can be wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm saying this not as someone who is telling you for sure. I'm saying that there are a lot of scientific studies that show in the early phase, hydroxychloroquine prevents you from going to the middle and late phase. And so what's the problem? You can't prescribe it. If I now prescribed hydroxychloroquine the f- and the pharmacist asked me if it was for COVID, I would be reported to the medical board. There Good was a heavens. guy just the other day, not in this state. I can't remember what state. He prescribed ivermectin. Yeah. That's a whole different story, a whole different mechanism. He prescribed ivermectin for COVID and lost his license. So if you're listening from the powers that be, I am not advocating utilizing hydroxychloroquine as a first-line um, uh, treatment for early COVID. Mm-hmm. I am simply stating that many studies have shown that it works in preventing progression to worsening disease. And why? It is an excellent anti-inflammatory medication. I use it all the time in my lupus patients and my rheumatoid. In fact, it's a mainstay of treatment for them. Now, what did they say? It was going to cause heart arrhythmias. It was going to... That's when you don't give the appropriate dose, okay? Okay. In in the treatment with hydroxychloroquine, more 
is not better. Use the appropriate dose, and it's safe. In fact, it's one of the safest drugs there is. Now, there was something in our st- uh, pile of pile research, of papers research that has to do with heart attacks. Yeah, that they were discovering that people on hydroxychloroquine had fewer, fewer heart, heart attacks. attacks. So suppose you have lupus, yeah. and your doctor decides to treat you with hydroxychloroquine. If you go over time, and this is not a proof-type study, you know, mm-hmm. this is a st- what we call an observational study. If you observe those rheumatoid arthritis patients who were not treated with hydroxychloroquine versus those who were, the ones who were treated with hydroxychloroquine had fewer strokes and fewer heart attacks. Mm-hmm. Now, that is probably, and I can't say for sure as a scientist, and I am a scientist, that it was caused by the anti-inflammatory effect of hydroxychloroquine, but that makes sense that it is. Mm-hmm. And what's one of the big um, uh, lines of research in my field in cardiology, and that's anti-inflammatory medications. So we take an aspirin, right? If yeah. you have had coronary bypass surgery, Dave that's me. Is I a take a baby example. aspirin. Yeah, you know, and it's enteric-coated aspirin, so it doesn't hurt your stomach. 81 milligrams daily appears to be the dose, although 325 also works. I mean, you know, it's it's controversial. Um, you not only, you do two things. Not only do you inhibit the clotting activity of platelets. Platelets are the little tiny cells that circulate and cause clots. Well, if you have atherosclerosis or cholesterol buildup, that cholesterol plaque can induce clotting and cause a heart attack. And it can do that in the heart, causing a heart attack. You can do that in the brain, causing a stroke. Yeah. Well, yeah, it works to do that. But you know what? It's Aspirin's an anti-inflammatory agent. So what's the difference between Tylenol and aspirin? Tylenol simply blocks the perception of pain in your brain. Yeah. Aspirin, Advil, which is a derivative or in the same sort of family, uh, Aleve, they actually reduce pain at the site where it's being made by reducing the amount of inflammation that damages nerves and damages arteries. And so, you know, the bottom line is inflammation is a horrible thing in for the heart. Um, you know, even in valves, you, you remember, you know what um, rheumatic fever was? It mm-hmm. was big yeah. in this country. Well, I see a lot of it in Johnston County because they before they didn't have, uh, the Johnston residents didn't have access to good medical care. It's caused by the strep bacteria getting in your throat, and in certain individuals, it induced an autoimmune inflammatory disease, and it affected your heart valves, okay? Rheumatic fever. Yeah. And you get a fever, your your joints would ache and swell up, but then you get what's called aortic stenosis and mitral stenosis, where there's so much inflammation on the tissues of the heart valves because the antibodies and other parts of the autoimmune response are attacking the valves because it's the same cross-reactivity between the strep bacteria and um, structures in the valve. And that's very rare. It doesn't yeah. happen to many people, but when it does, it's bad. So what are we trying to do in cardiology? The biggest area of research now is in reducing the amount of inflammation in our bodies. Now, let me tell you, you know, I t- talked earlier about reducing my calcium score. Yeah. So I went on several natural uh, anti-inflammatory medic you know, spices and herbs. Now, yeah. you know, I'm not one of these crazy, you know, Birkenstock wearing um, people who think that natural is always better. Right. These have been studied. They reduce right. inflammation. So my C-reactive protein, a measure of inflammation, when it's high, you have a high risk of heart attack. 
because you can inflame those blockages and cause them to clot and cause a heart attack. I was seven, which is very high. Yeah. I mean, extremely high. Why? Well, probably genetics, but also, <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you, sugar in the morning, sugar in the evening, yeah. sugar at supper time. I'm a sugaraholic. And I have cut back from six Cokes to four. But anyway, it went from six to less than 0.1. Mm-hmm. And why is that? My cholesterol's down. I'm on, you know, statins are a really good anti-inflammatory medication. Those who take statins and have COVID have less of a risk of death. It's true. Mm-hmm. And so what does this mean? I started taking turmeric, which is a spice from, you know, used in India. It has been proven to lower inflammation and is harmless. I take milk thistle. It's not made of milk. It's just a herb that looks like it's got a milky top. Yeah. And I take an aspirin and I take my statin and my inflammation is now infinitesimally small. And so the bottom line is there are things that we can do. And I think that um, the cardiology researchers that I know who are trying to develop anti-inflammatory medications that we can take every day yeah. are going to help not just hearts, but rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of conditions that are inflammatory. Now, you know what's an inflammatory condition that's good to talk about today? Hmm. Hangovers. Oh, yes. Let me tell you, the hangover is caused by inflammation in your brain yes. from the effects of alcohol. Yes. And I do not recommend this. Do not do this at home. No. Uh, and, and your doctor will probably not prescribe it for you. But you yeah. know how I get rid of it? I, I don't drink anymore. I drink little teeny weeny bits of scotch yeah but when i was a young whippersnapper cardiologist i had a friend who would get me drunk uh, and i said i'm gonna have a hangover tomorrow. it was it was his fault huh? no i believe in personal <laughs> responsibility but you know what prevented my hangover what's that prednisone and what is prednisone it's an acute anti-inflammatory <laughs> medication so this guy and i only did it once but this guy whose name i won't mention uh took 40 milligrams of prednisone after binge drinking <laughs> And he woke up rip rare and ready to go. Really? So what we're experiencing, what many people, hopefully not the people listening to our show, yeah. but maybe your grandsons and your, your <laughs> kids, they're experiencing an inflammatory response to yeah. um, the hangover, the, the alcohol. And, so. and we are going to be performing the rest of the show at our normal volume, regardless of how painful it is. To people who do have an angle yeah yeah that's it's true it's the way it comes yeah uh larry and raleigh we're going to pick up with you in just a moment your chance to call is right now 919-860-9783 heart health radio this is heart health radio on the heart health radio network who is shaming this time around? Well, you know, Kaiser Permanente. Do you know why it's called Kaiser? No. Yeah. So there's a guy, Kaiser, who built the Hoover Dam. And he was a very um, progressive uh, owner of construction companies. He, uh-huh. There were, I don't know, 50,000 people who built the Hoover Dam. Yeah. He developed his own healthcare system just for them. It was called Kaiser. Oh. And then he moved it to California and they took it over. And Kaiser Permanente is now the premier HMO, health maintenance organization, before there was HMOs in the 30s and 40s. Anyway, it's a monolithic organization now. And what did they do? They normally had medical staff there to treat 
the Rose Parade people who got sick. Okay? Oh. A wonderful thing. Sure. Because, I mean, look at the marathons. Look at any uh, group where you have tens of thousands of people. People are going to get sick. Yeah. You have a heart attack. There were the Kaiser doctors and nurses and technicians running to them and saving them. Right. They pulled out this year because of Omicron. Omicron. We're not going to risk our people with all these horrible unvaccinated people. We're not going to risk it again. Yeah. Our job. We've taken an oath. We don't care about ourselves. We take precautions. Mm -hmm. Yes. We try to stay healthy as much as possible. But we are there to treat the sick no matter their race, religion, creed, or vaccination status. They didn't want to endorse a large group of people getting together. Well, tough. They're going to get together anyway. Yeah, they are. I mean, you think that someone's going to say, well, Kaiser's not going. Oh, (laughs) I'm not going to go. These people want to live. And I think this political bent that we have now toward medical care and how we perform medical care. I mean, suppose a fireman, okay? Yeah would say, I'm not going to that house. They didn't have sprinklers or fire extinguishers. It's their fault. Yeah. Let it burn down. No. Yeah. yeah. They're going to save somebody no matter what. And that's what medical people should do. It drives me nuts. Larry in Raleigh, welcome to Heart Health Radio. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing fine. Good. Speak right up. Tell us what's going on. Um, well, um, my wife is in a um, rehab place. Yes, okay. and she is probably she broke her leg and she's got a brace on it and stuff. But she's um, inflammation. She's swollen. She gained maybe ten pounds of fluid. Oh wow! Oh my! And um, right now she's having a hard time breathing and Ooh, that's not good. Hot and um, nausea. What causes the fluid? Okay, so you're right about that, inflammation. Does she have a weak heart? Has it ever been diagnosed with a weak heart? Uh, no, but in the hospital they took a thing, and now they want her to go to a cardiologist. Okay, this is a sign, and again, I can't diagnose her over the telephone, but she needs some medical attention pretty quick. Because if they took an ultrasound, which is what I'm guessing, and they said she needs a cardiologist, it could mean that she's got a weak heart, and all this fluid buildup could be that her heart's not able to pump it strong enough. I think, and my recommendation uh, is to go to the powers that be in her rehab facility and say, look, let's get the discharge summary from the hospital where she was treated. Let's look at the ultrasound. Let's get her medical attention should she have a heart problem. Now, swelling can be caused by clots in the legs. That's also a thing. It can make the veins not work. It can be caused by malnutrition because you don't have enough protein and the fluid leaks out of the veins. There's lots of different things. But if she has trouble breathing along with the swelling legs, that could be that I'm not making a diagnosis over the phone, but it could be heart failure, and I would make sure they check that out. All right, I've got a question. Yes. Should Larry be looking at her exact weight at discharge from the hospital sure. versus now. Yeah, and again, I didn't want to go into details, but Dave is very right, spot on. I've taught him well. 
<laughs> and that one of the ways we treat heart failure patients in terms of getting rid of fluid is how much weight they gain from one day to the next. Now, that could also be, however, skewed mm-hmm. by what we call lean body weight. So your muscle uh, uh, weight can go down because you're not exercising or you're eating you know, a lot of Oreos, etc., drinking yeah. Cokes like I do, and you're gaining weight from adipose tissue. But Dave's spot on, as they say in England. Just mm-hmm. spot on. I like to be. Find out the weight. Uh, is there a doctor who is responsible in the rehab center? I think there usually is. And my recommendation to you is not to say, I think she has heart failure, although you can decide to say that. But get the doctor to examine her. And I, one of the possibilities is that she's got heart failure, and that needs to be addressed ASAP. The nurse suggested it, and I think he got an appointment, but it's not until the 10th, I think. Or no, you, that you can't wait. You can't tenth. wait. That's yeah. if, if she gets more short of breath and more swollen, I'm going to tell you, one of the things you might consider is taking her to the emergency room. Because it can get worse quick. Now, I'm not making a diagnosis. I'm saying this is one of the possibilities. But if it is that, it's the worst thing that can be going on with her. And the other thing, Larry, I've learned about vocabulary here is that heart failure does not mean the heart is not working. It means it's not working well enough to get the blood circulating so that it fails to prevent the fluid from building up. That's what it means. Good luck. Hey, listen, um, get my phone number uh, from the people and call me on my cell phone and let me know how she's doing because I think this is one of the things that we can do on this show is not make a diagnosis but right. make suggestions about what to ask your doctors to look for and let me know. So when you, when you hang up, they're going to um, give you my cell phone number. All right. The other thing I, w- this leads to – First of all, my grandmother died of congestive heart right. failure. And this is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. You're talking about yeah. fluid, which builds up. Because the heart can't pump the blood, and the pressure builds up in the lungs and in Pe- the legs. People, it, I don't know if it's a generational thing. Some people do not advocate for themselves well enough. Yeah. and I Oh, I see that every day. And, really? Yeah, and I see the overdiagnosis of heart failure. Right. So people who are breathing well, whose hearts are strong, their legs swell up. Yeah. And they get diuretics, which are medicines that poison the kidney. And I hate to use that word poison. Okay. They make the kidney not able to reabsorb sodium. So you pee out sodium, you pee out fluid with the sodium. They're yeah. great drugs for heart failure when you need them. Right. But if you don't have heart failure, what does it do? I know. Makes you dehydrated. Oh, okay. And it makes your kidneys work less. So you got to use those diuretics or what my patients in Johnson County call water pills, which yeah. is, you know, yeah, a good yeah, way yeah. to call. Yeah. You got to use them judiciously and carefully. And and that's why I'm not making a diagnosis on this fine woman uh, and her husband. I'm trying to say what he should ask the doctor. Right. Okay. There was a there was a story about a man. We just had about a minute. A man in Connecticut Faked a COVID test, COVID, oh, a yeah. positive COVID test, to avoid going to jail. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, I have patients who come in all the time. 
and they say, Doc, can you write me a note to get out of jail? Like I'm, a, I'm in Monopoly. And I'll say, why? He says, I don't want to go to jail. Can you just make something up? And, you know, obviously the answer is no. There are times when somebody like has a wound that needs to be treated every day. Oh, sure, yeah. Or they're on certain medications that need to be given carefully that I'll say, you know, maybe he shouldn't go to jail, you know. But, but you know, if you've murdered somebody yeah, and you you're going to go to jail, go. well, they have prison doctors and tell the oh, prison sure. doctor to call me Be and the, I'll help them out. Get the best but, treatment ever. All right. And he got a fake COVID-19 test and said, I can't go to jail. All right, this is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Doctor, we're going to shout out a couple of people, but let's let's shout them up. Yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to be able to. I'm recording this for my daughter. I'm going to shout out Sarah Weefold <laughs> and her yeah. now fiance. Oh my, Mark Vieira. And and I got a call last night. They've been together for a while, and and we were at my uh, daughter's wedding, other daughter's wedding, Nani or Eleanor, uh, yeah. in early November, and I kind of got the feeling, you know, oh. that something was up. So Mark called me last night. Uh, and and he was just such a happy voice, and he worked with my other daughter Peggy to yeah. get a ring, and he asked me permission to marry. Well, maybe wow. not asked me permission, but it was sort of like that, and said, you know, I just want you to know I'm going to propose to Sarah, and, and I said, absolutely, that's wonderful. <laughs> and they sent a picture today. She's got the diamond ring. I'm really happy. Now, what has this got to do with health? Okay. When you are happily married, you have a lower risk of health problems okay. and actually a lower risk of death. And the only time that, that marital status makes a difference in, in terms of your overall health is if you're not happily married, but also after mm. one spouse dies and the other spouse goes through this really, really bad grief of not sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about marriage and health and and if you get married great have kids yeah although they can drive you nuts they do yes but overall you know the kids when they come back for thanksgiving and when you know they graduate and all those wonderful things they reduce stress Mm -hmm. and when you know there's an elderly person or not an elderly person someone who's loved their spouse and has lost their spouse help them out right be there for them Stay over with them, you know, listen to them talk about how much they love their spouse. And I think that we need to understand that marriage is a very positive thing for health. And that's not just why I'm happy for Sarah and Mark. I'm happy because they're wonderful people. Mark's a great guy. He's going to make a great, well, he already is part Mm -hmm. of our family. He's going to make a great son-in-law in the future, just like Nani and her husband, Andrew, and Peggy and uh, her husband, Neil, in my family, yeah. and the two grandkids, Lily and Claire, we have a wonderful, expanding family. And I strongly recommend that you find somebody you love. Find some, take some time, make sure mm-hmm. they're going to be the right partner because you will live longer and, and with less illness if you're happily married. 919-860-9783. 
Excellent. So there's this story about a man who died after his family says they couldn't find a hospital bed. Okay. And they blamed unvaccinated COVID This patients. is another example of re- the ridiculousness of politicized science. Yeah. Okay. When I was a resident, what was the number one problem? We didn't have a bed. I mean, that was the term we'd say. We ain't had a bed. We can't transfer you to Hopkins. Yeah. We don't have a bed. There are more hospital beds now. Sure. There, there were. The population's increased. But also, hospitals need beds in order to make money. Mm-hmm. There's just no doubt about it. So the fact that there are so many COVID patients is not um, a, a thing that we use to beat over the head of the unvaccinated and say, look what you're doing. You're preventing another patient uh, coming in and using your bed. You're selfish. You should have been vaccinated and you'd be home and you're going to kill this person. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely not true. Number one, it's highly exaggerated. Remember that article where the gunshot wound victim was left in the emergency room sitting in the corner because they were taking care of COVID patients? Yeah, it wasn't true. That was a lie. Yeah. This and one's I don't a lie. Know. This one's a lie. Really? This one's a lie. Let me just tell you the background. You know where this fellow was while he waited for a hospital bed? He was in a hospital, in a hospital bed. It's that he was in a rural hospital. He did not go to the fancy, you know, central location, the excellent hospital, right? Well, but rural hospitals can be excellent, too. Right, but the point is, point is the, he needed some specificity about, you know, it's always good to have the university hospital. It's always you. No, not necessary. All right. It's, we think that it's always good to have what? The bigger hospital. No. Oh, he says no. All right. I've worked in rural hospital. Yeah. I've worked at the most fantastic major medical centers. Yeah. And there are pros and cons to each. Okay. And, you know, um, I'm a Johns Hopkins, Duke, Princeton graduate who works at a, in an area yeah. that is underserved still, even though it's, what, 15 minutes from one of the most cosmopolitan, right. cosmopolitan cities in the country now. Yeah. And it's a great hospital now. Okay. Not perfect. All right. But, you know, would I transfer somebody necessarily to Duke? Uh, I would if they had a really weird condition um, that needs people who see this condition more frequently than, say, I do. Right. But let me tell you something. And what's that? July 1. Yeah. Be careful if you go to a major medical center. Why? Why? The interns are brand new. Oh. Oh, okay. And I think Duke's wonderful. Go to not seriously. If you go to Duke, you're going to get great health care. If you go to UNC Chapel Hill, you're going to get great health care. If you go to the Mass General, yep. man's greatest hospital, and Johns Hopkins, I was a resident come July 1. Yeah. Now, what they did was supervise me a little more. I would hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but did I make mistakes? Yeah. But did that hurt people? Not in my situation, but it sure can. All right. Just so you know, this story has a headline that is scary and the headlines i've seen make it like he didn't he wasn't in a hospital right he was in a hospital and by the way his treatment at the rural hospital versus the big city medical center 
was exactly the same. Absolutely. And then eventually they operated on him. He didn't get yeah, but, better. You know, just yeah. five years ago, there were situations in the winter, in the summer, whatever, where I couldn't get a bed. Right. You know, I'd call the hospital and I want to admit somebody from my outpatient practice. I said, we don't have any beds. Yeah. This is not an uncommon thing. And, you know, if you're listening and if you're unvaccinated, I think you should really uh, stop and think. And there are only very few reasons to get unvaccinated and boosted. But I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. In this day and age of clickbait, you know, let me give you an example. My my niece, who I, I just love, Jamie Weefault, she refuses to get vaccinated because DMX, you know who that is? Yeah. He's yeah. some rapper. I don't listen to rap music, but, you know, some people do and love it. He died three or four days later after his vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't from the vaccine. Now, I'm not going to, you know, denigrate him. Did he get shot? Was, what? Did he get shot? Uh, Could have. It oh, was either okay. shot or drug overdose okay. or whatever. Right. Oh, but the bottom line is, just is clickbait just says he died afterwards. And and I like Tucker Carlson for the most part, but he said three million people got their vaccine. 30 died the next day. And to make a long story short, 75 people should have died. Okay? Yeah. Quote unquote, because it was one one hundredth of the population that day in America got vaccinated. Three million out of three hundred million. Seven thousand five hundred people every day die. Right. Every day. So if someone's vaccinated, they still, you know, can get can die the next day because of other causes, not the vaccine. There is a story that says coffee is incredibly good for you. And we're finally, more stories now. More stories. About how good for you it is than, than how bad for you it is. As I I've can remember said, five years ago, coffee's yeah. horrible for you. Stop drinking it. <laughs> you know, part of that, you know what, part of that was politics because the coffee growers in South America were, were treated badly. Yeah. And they're tre- being treated better now. Okay. Huh. And coffee has a lot of reasons to be good for you. It says and coffee drinkers 21% less likely to develop chronic liver disease. Because they don't drink as much um, uh, Irish coffee. You know right. what that is? I know. Add a little, you add a little uh, whiskey to it, and that's an Irish coffee. Statistically, it reduces the risk of heart attack or yeah, heart failure. I believe that. Uh, drinking coffee reduces risk of Alzheimer's. I'm hoping them show that for Coca-Cola. I seriously doubt it. Yeah. I seriously doubt it. All right. But I, in my defense, if I told you I drink four glasses of apple juice a day, what would you think? Oh, he's a healthy guy. Okay, what has more sugar in it? An eight-ounce glass of apple juice or an eight-ounce glass of Coca-Cola? Well, I know the way you think. I know. Yeah, it it's must apple, be juice. apple juice. Yeah, natural sugar is still sugar. Yeah. Okay. So do not drink six. I'm down to four. Okay. (laughs) Pretty soon I'll be down to two. I like the ones in bottles. Yes. You put them in the fridge and that coldness on your tongue and uh, I'm sorry, on your lips makes it taste so much better. Um, But anyway, don't do that. Don't drink four Cokes a day. And also don't drink four glasses of apple juice a day. You gotta sugar is the number one enemy. White flour is the number one enemy to health in this country. And I don't, don't do what I do. Well, think uh, about, think about adopting what I've said for health. Okay, and sugar, white flour, 
not meat and fat. Now, maybe, you know, there are some fats you shouldn't have, but we've cut those out almost completely. Right. Sugar and flour, stay away, cut back, no, but, no. But the meat and fat you've determined is not going to make you fat. No, it fat, eating fat doesn't make you fat. Okay. It's sugar, white flour. And why is that? Because in the olden days when we were cave people, we didn't have a lot of energy storage. Okay, we had we had fat and we had meat. We had, you know, natural grains. But the concept was store energy as quickly as you can yeah. and as much as you can. And that storage of energy is carbohydrates that are modified and turned into adipose tissue. And so that's why, I mean, why do you think we are predetermined to want ice cream? Why do you think sugar tastes so good? I don't know. Because the more of that you can get yeah. if you were a cave person, yeah, um, the longer, the more fat storage you'd have. And with feast and famine, which was very common back then, yes. the more of a chance you have to live. So it's, it's bad to eat a lot of sweets, right. but boy, does it taste good. Amen. Oh, my God. Carbs are one. Simple carbs are driven uh, yep. in our bodies to fat. Yep. And because we need to have some fat in order to survive a famine, right. um, our bodies crave it. I'll tell you what, the famine happens. I'm going to outlive you all. I, absolutely. I am. Absolutely. Right. Telephone number 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio, on the Heart Health Radio Network. We're shouting out. I love that song. William O'Neill. Who's Will, William O'Neill? Okay, so Belinda has called the show before. Belinda O'Neill was married uh, to his father. Yes. And William um, uh, inherited a genes for uh, morbid obesity. He's a great guy. He had some problems, medical problems related to that. Um, he had lymphedema in his legs, etc. But we got him on. The no-no diet. Yeah. So we cut out white flour. We cut out sugar. We cut out the inside of white potatoes. We cut out certain fruits, grapes, you know, apples that have natural amounts of sugar. Okay. And I wrote out a list of things. We put them on uh, what we call anorectics, which are medicines designed to make you not hungry. Mm-hmm. We put them on uh, a GLP-1, which is a, a medicine often used for diabetics, but also for overweight um, Wegovy is now the branded one to help you lose weight, but it's the same medicine as as Ozempic. It's yeah. just rebranded. Yeah. And guess how much he's lost? He was 550 pounds uh, J- July. Yeah. No, June one. Oh my gosh. 550 pounds June one. Guess and what he now was? Now he's what? 420. Now that's wow. still sure he's got to lose some weight. But so. in six months, yeah, 110 pounds. Wow. I've checked his labs. We've got a good B12. We've got, you know, really excellent liver functions. He feels so much better. Yeah. And we're heading toward 300 now. Sure. I'm going to slow down a little bit, okay, and take the weight off, say, you know, 15 to 20 pounds a month now. But 
I'm telling you, it just makes me feel so good. And, That's terrific. You know, he still may need gastric bypass because, you know, we may need, we may plateau at 400, 380. Yeah. But his chance of surviving, not surviving, you know, his chance of doing well with that surgery. Sure. Is much better. Right. When you're 380 versus 550. So, Mr. O'Neill, high five. That is excellent. I want you to hear a... Uh live audio recording of a fella who <laughs> was just trying to get into a business. A vaccine passport? Yeah, but I need proof of at least 10 booster shots. I'm going to need to see an allergy test. Lyme disease. Chicken pox. H1N1. Rabies tag. H1N2. I'm going to need to see some <laughs> polio papers. Seriously? No, nah, I'm just kidding about that one. Oh. <laughs> but I will need to see a syphilis passport. Oh, of course. H1N3. H1N4. All right, proof of the herpes vaccine. All right, hand, foot, and mouth disease. H1N5. H1N6. Prostate exam. Whooping cough. I'm going to need your Netflix password. HPV. I'm going to need to see your blockbuster card. Tetanus. <laughs> Negative test for the black plague. Tetanus booster. I don't have it. I'll give it to you now. <laughs> Put your mask on and show them your receipt. You know, I actually lost the receipt, so... How are we supposed to give you your laundry if you don't have the receipt? <laughs> He's just trying, to, just trying to get his laundry. He's just trying to get his yeah. laundry. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing is, these are all great vaccines. You get them at certain times <laughs> in your life. But, you know, where does this end? Um, and I don't know. Um, again, get your vaccine. It's safe. If you don't want to have your vaccine, I understand. Yeah. Um, but listen to us. Uh, and and you'll see that we're going to be you're going to do something that the pro vaccine physicians on TV don't do. What's they that? don't say yes. There is a slight chance of a really bad outcome from the vaccine. Yeah. Here are the numbers. Okay. Yeah. And here are the chances. Your chance of dying of COVID is higher. Sure. Much higher than the chance of you having a really bad side effect that's going to hurt you. If you decide not to have this vaccine, uh-huh. I'm going to still love you. Yeah. You know, and still respect you and still understand where you're coming from. And I'm not going to humiliate you. And I'm That's not going to put you in the back of the bus. And I'm not going to say you're you're being horrible and taking up a hospital bed from somebody else um, who might need it. You're a human. Mm-hmm. And you are someone that we should all love. We should mm-hmm. all love each other. That's the thing that's missing in our health is love yeah bobby and raleigh thank you for calling up how can we help you hi guys hey, hey what's happening happy new year Enjoy happy new year well, all that stuff. are you hung over oh lord no <laughs> <laughs> i'm acclimated now okay yeah <laughs> i do not get hung over well that's pretty good i don't get hung over because i don't drink anymore <laughs> oh well that's not my problem yeah okay What's exactly. cooking, Bob? At <laughs> uh, any rate, I want to ask the doctor there about collaboration. I had two recent situations where I approached physicians and asked them to collaborate with another physician of a different specialty yeah. and possibly more importantly, at a different practice. Right. Yeah. In both cases, it, it wasn't an aversion I ran into. It was more of a just disinterest huh. and it wasn't until the second one that i asked why 
you know, why not do that? And he was like uh, ham and hawing a little bit and basically said, well, we just don't do that. They don't, they don't talk to the other specialists? Is that what you're saying? Of a different specialty. Yeah, no, that's that's right. that's crazy. No, they send them clinic notes. Yeah. So that, that's kind of, everybody does that. Yeah. But, I mean, but this is beyond that. You know, it's so critical. Kind of an FYI and yeah. that's where it ends. But often it's not just an FYI. And let me, let me give you an example. Um, I had a guy who needed surgery. He needed pretty extensive surgery. And he has something called factor five Leiden deficiency. So he's missing this protein in his blood that uh, prevents clotting. And he's had four clots. Okay. He's had one clot in the leg, uh, actually two in the leg, one in the lung, two in the lung. No, two in the leg, two in the lung. And I almost killed him. And he's on uh, warfarin because uh, he needs yeah. to prevent clotting. Now, with major surgery, you can't be on that type of uh, anticoagulant. So what we've done in the past is we we transition him to a short-acting anticoagulant. The warfarin takes four days to go away. And then 24 hours before the surgery, he's on no anticoagulant, and he gets a surgery, doesn't bleed. Yeah. And then 24 hours later or 48 hours later, depending upon whether there's bleeding after surgery, we restart the anticoagulants gradually. And that's been shown to reduce the risk of a clot after surgery because of his tendency to clot from his genetic disorder. Man, the surgeon told him, if you don't stop your warfarin 10 days before surgery and have no other anticoagulants, I'm not doing your surgery. So instead of you know, just sending a note saying, this is how I recommend you do it. I got on the phone and I called him. And he was still refused, but I, I sort of explained it, and we came to a compromise. And I said, yes, this does reduce his risk of a clot. Not as much as I would recommend, but I'm going to go with this, and I'm going to work with you. And that took a couple of phone calls. So this is critical, what you're asking because you never know, you know, for example, how the heart medicines are going to affect the kidney during this surgery. Yeah. Hey, Dave, you know, told me he was having eye surgery. Yeah. And they postponed it because of a finding in his kidneys. Yep. So the ophthalmologist had to work with the nephrologist, had to work with the primary care physician. And then I didn't know, and I'm sure that this often happens, what kind of anesthesia he was going to have. Well, that was the And thing. I made a judgment call saying, yeah. hey, come on, you're going to have your eye surgery and they won't help you know, with your kidney. Your kidneys, they won't do it. And then he said, this is not topical, Weefy. This oh, yeah, is general anesthesia. And what did I say? I take it all back. Okay, and that's where communication between specialists and subspecialists and primary care to specialists but, is so critical. But uh, let me just tell you, Bob's situation is similar to mine. Yeah. Because they were not so much interested in communicating. Do you know that one place would not email something to another because email is, quote, unquote, insecure? Oh, Jesus. So so here's the thing. They mailed a piece of paper to another clinic. We're in the 21st century. You can fax. You can fax. But you know what I do? What? I give out my cell phone number. Yeah. I give out my cell phone number to my patients. I give it out to other doctors. And when I call the doctor's office and say, can I speak to so-and-so? And they said, well, they're in surgery, they'll call you back. I said, call my cell phone. Direct communication. Yeah. It takes less time. Bob, it seems like your doctors and my doctors are are not as good as we fault. They may be one and the same. 
Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the key thing is keep pushing because advocate, advocate for yourself. Go back in. Did you call him yet? Did you call him yet? (laughs) And you know, it's like the little kid who wants his toy. Pretty soon, you just give them the dang toy because you're sick of them complaining. Yes. And advocate. You know, and this is not complaining. Okay, advocate for yourself and for your loved ones. It can't hurt. Okay, well, thank you, sir. You take care. Have a great day. Thank you, Happy Bob. New Year. You too. Very Bye. good to hear from you. This is Heart Health Radio, and we have come to the uh, end of another oh. hour of... Seems like I just started bloviating. You know? Well, you, you bloviate so well, the time yeah. just flies. Um, I really love doing this show, and I really love my listeners. I really love Dave. Um, it's, I'm excited for the new year, and I am hoping against hope yeah. that we can just get over this pandemic and yeah. move on and, and start talking about, you know, the things I love to talk about. Actually, I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> <laughs> No, the other things, the medical things. Yeah. And we, ap- we apologize to Rob in Virginia that we couldn't fit you on. This is Heart Health Radio.